All right, let's open our Bibles, Psalms chapter number 84, Psalms chapter 84. What a blessing it is to be with you here tonight. A lot of folks want to be in the house of God that are not able to be here. Let us never take it for granted. Somebody say amen right there. All right, Psalms 84 this evening, and uh, we began preaching on this psalm. It's a short psalm, only 12 verses, and we preached a little bit on it last Sunday night. And uh, the Lord's given us liberty to spend a little bit more time in it tonight. And it's our desire, if it be the mind of the Lord, to spend a little time finishing up in this psalm next Sunday night. Uh, we began this past Sunday night preaching on the pilgrim's pathway. And uh, I want us to consider that thought a little further this evening. Psalms chapter 84, verse number 1. The Word of God says, How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts! My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. Yea, the sparrow hath found an house, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young, even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. They will be still praising thee, Selah. Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, in whose heart are the ways of them who passing through the valley of Baca make it a well. The rain also filleth the pools. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. Behold our God, our, O God, our shield, and look upon the face of thine anointed. For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will He withhold from them that walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth in Thee. Let's pray together. Father, we love You tonight. What a blessing to be in Your house. Pray that You'd speak to each and every heart. Pray, Lord, You know our condition. You know our our condition not only uh, judicially between us and you, positionally, whether we've been born again, whether we've been saved. Lord, I trust that those in the house of God tonight, they're, they're believers, they've put their faith in you, they've been born again. But Lord, even beyond that, you know our heart's condition as regards fellowship with you, obedience unto you. You know if our heart is surrendered unto you and in tune with you. And Lord, you just you know us, Lord, in every way, shape, fashion, and form, so there is no one more fit to examine our life than you by the Holy Ghost and by your inerrant word. I pray that you'd take the word of God, wield it in our hearts and minds tonight, and that, Father, you would reveal unto us your will, uh, that you would uh, give us guidance and wisdom about life, and, Father, that in every area of conflict in our soul and in our spirit, that all victory would belong unto you. And we'll be sure to thank you for it. Lord, we love you tonight, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we said last week, Psalms 84 is a pilgrimage psalm. It is the message and theme and song and story of a man that is making a journey from where he dwells, where he lives, uh, to the very presence of God's house. I'd remind you tonight that when we talk about pilgrims in the Word of God, we're typically talking about folks that are making a journey for religious reasons, a, a pilgrimage, the Muslims do it, go to Mecca and Medina and uh, there was a time that, uh, you know, Christians, I say Christians, professing Christendom, 
uh, would make similar uh, journeys and pilgrimages. It was common at one time for uh, a Roman Catholic to, uh, to make a pilgrimage to, to Rome and various things. The Bible describes the Old Testament pilgrim as journeying from wherever they live to the city of Jerusalem, to the temple or the tabernacle, the place where God had placed His name, that they might perform sacrifices, that they might take part in feasts, and that they might spend time in communion with the God of Israel. But you know, the New Testament describes likewise the the believer in the New Testament age as being a pilgrim. In fact, the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. So not only does the Bible have a robust history of uh, Jews making a pilgrimage from their home to the city of Jerusalem, but there is even a spiritual application of that truth. The Bible calls you and I as New Testament Christians pilgrims that are on a pilgrimage or a journey from where God found us and saved us and from where we presently physically live. Uh, We are on a journey on a pilgrim to the place where God dwells. Now what exactly does this mean? Well, when I when I look at pilgrimage in the Bible as an idea and as a truth, I find that there's sort of three different understandings of it. One is the pilgrim journeying to the physical place of worship. That, of course, is the context of the psalm in front of us. The man that that, uh, that this psalm is, is speaking about is a man that is journeying to Jerusalem, to the physical place of worship. And let me say this, we as God's people, there is a physical place of worship. Now, I understand somebody's going to say, oh, preacher, but God's omnipresent and, uh, and, and God can be worshipped anywhere. And anywhere I'm at, I can commune with God. All right, you argue with God about why He created a local New Testament church then. Amen? Uh, listen, I understand. I understand that God can meet with you anywhere, but, you know, God's chosen. It's like anything else. There's, I could meet you anywhere, but there's certain places I choose to meet you. Uh, if you called me at 2.30 in the morning and you stuck down here on Summit Hill and you said, Preacher, man, I, I need you. I, I'm, I'm broke down. They're shady characters. They're looking at me like, like a wolf looking at a lamb chop. Preacher, I, I'm, in, I'm in a mess. Come get me. I'd come get you. Now, don't try me on that. But I'd come get you. I, I, I'd meet you there. But now, if you just said, hey, let's go get a cup of coffee. Where do you want to meet? I probably wouldn't say, let's meet down at Summit Hill at 3 a.m. Amen? I'd say this, God can meet you anywhere He has to meet you, but God has chosen a place that He wants to meet with His people. Uh, we have the assembly of the New Testament church for us to gather together, and certainly it's not about uh, drywall, and it's not about bricks and foundations, and it's not about roofs and shingles, and it's not about pews and, 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 uh, and carpet and a platform, but it's about God's people meeting and gathering together. That's the prescribed way that God desires to meet with His people. If you wind up in a mess, sure, God will come and get you. And God will find you wherever you're at. And there's a sense in which He is always and ever present with us. As we said this morning, He never leaves us nor forsakes us. But God has a physical place where He wants us to go and meet together with other believers and with Him. So I think there's a truth there. Then I would say this, we all understand that the pilgrimage that's spoken of as regards the New Testament believer could also be spoken of as a pilgrim journeying to the eternal heavenly home that God has promised us. In other words, we are all on a journey. I hate to tell you this, I don't know if anybody's ever told you in life before, but one of these days this life is going to end. This is not our eternal state. One of these days we're going to go and we're going to, we're going to leave this life. Our, our lungs will quit breathing, our heart will quit beating, our, our brain will quit functioning. I, I'm going to refrain from making a joke there, amen. But, but one of these days we're going to leave this life 
And wherever, whatever condition we die in is the condition we'll remain in. But for the New Testament believer, we understand what awaits us after we die, that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Now, I'm glad to say, hey, listen, isn't it good to know the heavens, uh, heavens ahead? Amen. What we look around and see around us isn't as good as it gets. Now, for the lost man, this is as good as it gets. But for the saved individual, we look around at this wicked world and this is as bad as it gets. We've only got, Maze Jackson, you say it this way, all this and heaven too. We're headed to a heavenly home. Then I think there's another way we can understand the pilgrim uh, journey. I would say we could look at it as the pilgrim journeying to the physical place of worship or the pilgrim journeying to the eternal heavenly home. But I think there is a sense in which we could say uh, that the New Testament believer is the pilgrim journeying to the spiritual place of communion with God. In other words, we are living as strangers in this present world that are desiring to have communion and fellowship with God who is in our heavenly home. And though one day we are going to be physically present with Him, even right now the book of Ephesians says you and I are seated together with Him in heavenly places. When we spend time with the Lord, when we commune with the Lord, when we fellowship with the Lord, uh, that ought to be the place of comfort, that ought to be the place of security and familiarity. For the pilgrim, when we're living in this world, we ought to feel out of place. We ought to feel out of step with what's going on because we are not to be at home in this world. We are journeying to a place of fellowship and communion with God. And it is that theme and that thought that I want us to follow as we go through this psalm. Uh, This uh, psalm that sits before us, it uh, falls neatly into three portions and they are each divided by that uh, musical word, Selah. Uh, the first we preached on last week uh, is verses 1 through 4. And that presents to us the pilgrim's hope. Uh, the pilgrim's longing, we could say. What the pilgrim desires. And what does he desire, man? He desires his God. Why does the pilgrim make the journey? Because he wants to meet with God. Why do we live the way that we live or should be living? Why do we do that? Because we, we desire God in our life. I know He's always present with us. But listen, I don't just want God to be present I want Him to be preeminent in my life. I want Him to be the everything of my life. And so we talk about the pilgrim's hope last week, the longing of the pilgrim. Next week, if the Lord will allow us to, we'll find in the last uh, four verses of this uh, chapter, we'll find the pilgrim's prayer and the leaning of the pilgrim, how the, the, the pilgrim prays and seeks God. And undoubtedly, that was part of the experience of an Old Testament pilgrim. In fact, if you were to uh, read through those uh, psalms uh, down, I, I think it starts about Psalms 125, although I would have to go back and look at it more carefully, but they're called Psalms of Degrees. What those were were psalms that were uh, recited and that were sung as they made their way and ascended by degree up the steps of the temple. Many of those psalms are psalms of prayer, seeking the Lord. And let me say that I'm sure those pilgrims in the Old Testament I'm sure they spent a lot of time on that journey from their home to Jerusalem praying and talking to the Lord and seeking the Lord and trusting the Lord. And certainly in your life and mine as pilgrims, we ought to be spending time talking to the God that we're going to meet and to be with. But tonight, if the Lord will help us, I want us to spend a few moments and look at the pilgrim's experience. Or we could say this, if last week we preached about the longing of the pilgrim and next week we'll preach about the leaning of the pilgrim, I think tonight we could say that we're going to look at the life of the pilgrim. And how could we describe this life of living for Jesus Christ? And that's really, to put it as simply as I can, that's what the pilgrim life is. It's living not tethered to this world, but rather living tethered to the world to come and living for Jesus 
Christ. What does that look like? What is the experience of that? Well, I'd, I'd like us to notice in verse 5, Just it's not even an introduction, it's just a statement. The Bible says, Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee. Can I tell you what us Christians are too often guilty of? Poor mouth. You know what poor mouthing is, right? That's talking about everything wrong in your life, how awful it is, how terrible it is. And listen, I understand. I'm glad we can pour out our complaint unto God, aren't you? I'm glad we don't have to try to put on a face and keep up appearances with God. But I'll just be honest with you. Sometimes us Christians, we're bad about treating it like we're so persecuted and we're so put down and we're so oppressed. I understand the world's burning down. I understand things are getting more hostile and more high and more tight against Christians. I'm aware of all of those things. But can I just say to you tonight, to be a Christian living for Jesus Christ is a blessed life. We're a blessed people. And I'm glad, listen, when I need to pour out my complaint, I don't have to complain to my fellow Christians. I don't have to complain to other church members. I don't have to complain to other church members. I don't have to complain to other church members. Sorry, my record's broken. I don't have to complain to other church members. I can complain to God if something isn't right. And He always listens to me. But I'd say this, if I'm just to be honest, man, I don't have a ton to complain about. God's been so good to me. He's blessed me. And I listen, I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you, it's a blessed life to be a child of God. It's a blessed life. That's what the psalmist says here. Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee. And then he gives several reasons that that is the case. I could give you a summary of this. That don't mean I'm going to quit preaching, but I'll go ahead and give you a summary of it. The experience of the pilgrim is described in this way. We find that faith has an anchorage. It is found in God when the heart is set upon Him. Uh, faith has an activity. It passes through dry valleys and fills them with springs of refreshment. And faith has an assurance. It goes from strength to strength, confident of finally appearing before God. But I think when I read this chapter, I would probably describe it this way. I want you to notice these five thoughts with me and we'll be done this evening. Why is the pilgrim a blessed man? Why is the man that puts his strength in God a blessed man? Well, I'd say number one tonight, I see their meditation as being a source of their blessing with God. Notice what it says in verse 5. Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, in whose heart are the ways of them. Can I tell you that the the life of contentment, the life of contentment, we're called to contentment. You know that. You understand that, right? We're called to be content with such things as we have. That's what the Hebrews writer says. Paul said, I've learned uh, whatsoever state I am in therewith to be content. He tells the young preacher Timothy that godliness with contentment is great gain. And can I tell you something? Listen, contentment does not come from your money. It comes in your mind. It doesn't come from your wealth. It comes from the will of God. Contentment does not come from the substance we have but rather the spirit of obedience we have unto God. And why is the pilgrim a blessed man? I'd say because of his meditation. Because he's got his heart and his mind on the right thing. Now, we, we saw one of these this morning when we was preaching through the Word of God, and, and it came to that, uh, that we was talking about communicating. You remember in verse 16 of Hebrews 13, where it says, but to do good and to communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. And it does not say who we're communicating to. And that gives us, I think, a little bit of liberty in reading the Word of God. Uh, it's definitely either talking about uh, fellowship with the Savior or fellowship with the saints. And you'd say, well, preacher, which is it? And the answer is yes. I think you could probably say there's an application to both. And I think we have a similar dynamic here in Psalms 84. Think about this phrase with me. Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee. 
Now it's talking about a man, but it's also talking about God. It says, whose strength is in thee. Then it says this, in whose heart are the ways of them. Can I ask you this question tonight? Whose heart and whose ways? Is the psalmist saying here, blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, because in his heart are the ways of God? Or is it saying, blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, because in God's heart are the ways or the pathways or the steps that that blessed man takes? And you say, preacher, which is it? And I say, yes, tonight. In other words, I don't think we have to choose between the two. I think there's a human application of this phrase. In other words, those that that fix their mind upon God have peace of mind. Everywhere God is, there's peace. You understand that? Where He reigns, there is peace. He is the Prince of Peace. You know why we don't have peace in this world? Because right now God doesn't reign and rule in this world. He, he does rule over this world in as much as He's the God of the universe. But Satan is the God of this world. And you want to know wh- wh- who this world's listening to, just look at the way this world's living. And the reality is this, all the misery and sorrow and heartache and heartbreak in this world, uh, the atheists would want to blame it on God. But here's the truth, man. Society ain't been doing what God wants for a long time. It, it ain't God that got this world in the shape that it's in. It's man that's done it. And it's the devil that's done it. It's sin that's done it. And it's the world system that has done it. Wherever God is and wherever God reigns, there is peace. So let me ask you this. How do we get peace of mind? How do we get peace in our heart? The Bible says we ought to let the peace of God rule in our hearts and in our minds. Let me tell you how a man has peace of mind by keeping his mind fixed upon God. The Bible says perfect peace have they whose minds are stayed on thee. Best thing I can, best advice, I'm serious man, best advice I can give you is turn off the news, turn off the social media, open your Bible and spend time with God. I mean, listen, we're, we're living in a world where we have just a steady diet of consumption of rage and noise and nonsense. And I'm not saying we got to stick our head in the sand. I, I was telling the, the, the Sunday school class this morning, I probably said it in the pulpit this morning too. I don't know. I don't, preaching's kind of like falling off of a horse, man. It happens quicker than you think and you don't remember a lot of it, but it's fun so you get back on it again. So I, I may have even said it this morning. I don't know, but listen, go ahead and turn off, turn off all that noise. If something big happens, somebody will stop you in the Walmart and tell you about it. If they blow up the White House, somebody, you'll be walking down the street, somebody will say, hey, did you hear they blowed up the White House? I mean, whatever it is, somebody will tell you about it. You don't have to live with your finger on the pulse of everything going on. Instead, listen, man, get in tune with God's Word. The pilgrim is blessed because his mind is stayed upon God. In his heart are the ways of God. You say, preacher, why do you believe? How, how do we know that so? Well, wouldn't they have to be for him to be a pilgrim? What's he thinking about on that long journey from where he's at to the place of worship of God? He's thinking about the Lord and the Lord's wisdom and the Lord's strength and the Lord's comfort and the Lord's love. And that's what's guiding him and sustaining him. But you know, there's a dual side to this because there's a human application to this phrase, but then there's a heavenly application. If a man came up to me and said, well, preacher, that's not what that's saying. That instead is is saying that in God's heart are the ways or the footsteps or the paths of that man. I, I probably wouldn't fight with you about that. That's probably... Uh, listen, whether or not the psalmist was trying to say that, certainly it is true. And I don't think we're doing damage to the Word of God to say that. Because listen, part of the thing that gives us peace of mind is to recognize this. Not only should our heart and mind be fixed upon the Lord, upon His wisdom and ways and guidance and truth, but it's also a comfort to me to not know that the ways, the footsteps that I'm stepping in, the paths that I am traveling, are known unto God. If I'm faithful to the Lord and if I walk in faith, they're ordered of the Lord. And listen, there may be times that I don't even know where I'm at. 
Uh, there may be times that, right, I'm serious. There may be times I'm talking about spiritually. I know that I'm saved. I know that I'm born again. I've had days I've woke up and I didn't know if I was, you know, spiritually charged up or discouraged or what it was. I didn't even know. Don't know if I've got a thimble full of strength or an ocean full. But, uh, you know, even when I don't understand what's going on in my life, I do know that God always knows what's going on in my life. I don't know what lays ahead. I've done thrown out all my crystal balls. I, I sold them in a garage sale. I sold them on Facebook. They didn't work, you know. I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know what's going to happen. If I'm being honest, I find myself more and more saying, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't understand a lot of what's going on around us in this world today. But I do know this. I do know that every path that I take, every step that I make, that God sees and knows what I'm going through. There's no path or journey that I may take but what God is aware of it and God sees it. And we could even say this, in as much as God is not only outside of time, but He fills up time. He's the God that inhabiteth eternity. And everything at every moment, everywhere, and every condition is in the immediate presence of God. Where we are headed and what we are experiencing, God is already at the other end of. He already knows the outcome of. And it's just a comfort to me. Listen, times when I don't know what's going on in my life and I don't really, I can't even quantify what's going on in my heart. All I'm I'm just trying to hang on to God. It's good to know that God's hanging on to me and He knows what I'm going through. So I think part of the reason He's blessed is because of His meditation. But then I notice in verse 6, their tribulation. Now somebody's going to say, Preacher, that can't be a blessing. But I think I see a blessing here in verse number 6. The beginning of it, it says this, Who passing through the valley of Baca, make it a well, the rain also filleth the pools. Now, it, it takes a little bit of study of God's Word to understand fully what's being said there, the valley of Baca. It is understood was a real and literal place. It was a dry valley that would have to be passed through as a man was ascending up to the city of Jerusalem. But it's interesting, that word baka, you know what it means? It actually means weeping. It means weeping. And so we're not doing damage to Scripture to understand that they're talking about a literal geographical place, but it is rich with figurative meaning. And it's talking about passing through a valley of sorrow, a valley of tribulation and of troubles and of trials a valley that is filled with the weeping of those that are sighing, bowed down under their burdens. You know, can I tell you this? Listen, just because you're a blessed child of God, just because you're a Christian, just because you know the Lord is your Savior, it don't mean you won't go through the valley of weeping sometime. When I read this, I, 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 I hate to, but i got to report to you. One of the things I notice about the blessed man, about the pilgrim, about somebody that loves God and is serving God, is they do enter into the valley of weeping. I, listen, I, I, I wish the prosperity preacher was right. I do. It'd make life a lot simpler, wouldn't it? I, I, I wish that, I mean, nothing would please me more than for old Creflo Dollar to nail it on the head and all I gotta do is name it and claim it and all my problems go away. But the truth of the matter is I've lived this life too long. I've seen God's people faithful sometimes serving Him have to go through the valley of Baca, the valley of weeping, the valley of sorrow and experience and it was not prompted by any disobedience in their life, but rather by perfecting and purging that God was wanting to perform in them. And here's the truth. Just because you're a child of God and just because you're living for God, that don't make you immune to heartache and sorrow. You are going to have hard times. Everybody that's alive is going to have hard times. The only way you're going to quit having hard times is go ahead and die. 
You're going as you live through this life to have sorrow, to have difficulty, to have challenges. But I, I noticed something here, and, and, and I hope that encourages you. You might be going through a hard time. You, you might have thought to yourself, what do I do to make God mad? Well, if you did something to make Him mad, you ought to repent of it. But if there's nothing you can think of that you've done in your life of disobedience, it's an encouragement to know sometimes God's just perfecting us and purging us. Sometimes He is trying to draw some sin out of our life, but sometimes He's trying to draw some glory out of our life for Himself. You might be in the valley of weeping right now and saying, Preacher, what did I do? How did I mess up? How did I get here? And you may have not messed up at all. It may just be the divine will of God that He bring glory to Himself through suffering and through tribulation. I see that they enter the valley of weeping, but oh, I like this. Look what it says. Notice it carefully. Your King James Bible's right. It's always right. It says, who passing through the valley of Baca. Make it well. It doesn't say to go to it. And sure enough, don't say they die in it, Brother Fred. It says passing through. So the blessed man, yeah, listen, he, he enters into the valley of weeping. But the blessed man can also have confidence and faith. The pilgrim can also trust that they will exit the valley of weeping. You understand, has it ever occurred to you that the lost man has no promise of any respite from suffering? There are people in this world that are born into calamity and sorrow and heartache, born into a loveless home, born into a broken body, born into a, into a sorrowful mind, and they might live their whole lives and die in their sins and go to hell and never experience a moment of respite. But you know for me and you as a child of God that know God by His grace, it don't matter how bad it gets down here, sooner or later we're going to leave this valley of weeping. I don't know how bad it's going to get. This is part of this. I, if I if I kept the crystal ball, I could tell you, but it it was broken and didn't work anyway. And this is one of the things I've just I've got to admit to you. I don't know how bad it's going to get. I don't. It might all get a little better here in a little while. It might. Everybody might just be. You might listen. You might be. You might be choking on dried food and ammo before it's all said and done with. I don't know. Or it might like it might get a lot worse. I don't know what lays ahead. I, I really I don't. I don't have a clue. But I do know for the child of God that we can live in hope, we can live in joy, and we can live in resolve and boldness and faith. You know why? Because we know we may enter into the valley of weeping, but one way or another, listen, by deliverance or by death, we're going to exit the valley of weeping. This is not the end condition. It's in the end game for us. We have all this, as we said already, in heaven too. And let me just make a practical statement. Most of our sorrows don't outlive us. Most of them don't. I'm not going to say it's an impossibility, but you look back at your life and chances are most of the things that you thought you'd have to suffer and bear the rest of your life, most of them God's lifted off your shoulders. I, I could, I was talking to somebody one day and, well, I mean, I, I'll tell you, I was talking to Jerry and Jessica one day and we was rejoicing over something God had done. I can't remember what it was, but, but I made the statement. I looked at Jerry and I said, you know, Jerry, God does so much for you. I forget about it sometimes. I said, I've seen God do so many things in your life, bless you all in so many ways. There would have been a time that they would have given up hope, that they would have been blessed to have a, a, a full quiver and a home with kids and, and all that. And, and now, I mean, every time I look over, they're climbing all over Jim, you know. And they got those three beautiful baby girls. And there, listen, there, there was a time when when Jessica was facing health problems and things and and they, they, listen, they wrote a death sentence over her. They said, that's it. She's, they gave her a certain amount and turned out that, I don't know that the doctors was wrong, but God healed her and touched her and raised her up. 
and, and, I, and I was telling him, I said, man, just to be honest, I said, God does so much. I said, hey, you got to teach me how you do that. God does so much for you that sometimes I forget about the amazing, huge miracles that God has performed in your family's life. You know, those were things that at, at one time they thought they were just going to have to live with. I remember texting Jerry every single day whenever they got bad news about the baby. And, and they thought that baby was going to be born with problems. They had seen some things on some scans and thought that baby was going to be born with problems. And I remember texting him every single day from when they found out until they went and got another scan and just trying to encourage him and trying to tell him God's faithful. God's going to control it all and God's in. Trust the Lord. Don't, don't give your mind over to the devil. You know, I trust God and everything. I mean, we, we thought that was going to be the reality at one time. Look what God did. I, I mean, I'm just saying this. Most of the things that we think we're going to have to battle forever, most of the time God will lift them up off of us. Man, God's good to us. Man, God's good to us. I'm just saying, just as a practice, I'm not saying your experience is always going to be... You might have things you bear for, for the rest of your days. Even if you do, if you know the Lord, you're going to leave this life and all sorrow behind it. But even practically speaking, man, most of the things, and I could, I ain't gonna take the time. Maybe it'd do us good, but I, I ain't gonna do the time. But we'd go around this room, and I could point to people that had things come up in their life, thought that was it. That was it, man, their life ever, forever gonna be changed. The cloud hanging over them forever, sit here whole by the grace of God today. Just saying, most of the time these valleys don't outlive us. Most of the time God picks it up off of our shoulders. If we'll trust Him, just keep going forward. One one sure way to die in the valley is to just stop and give up and stay there. But if we'll just keep pressing forward, most of the time God will bring us through. A child of God, listen, the pilgrim, they're blessed. They do enter the, the valley of Baca, but they exit the valley of Baca. And then i got to move on. Look what it says. Who passing through the valley of Baca, make it a well. The rain also filleth. The pools. I see, you're going to laugh when I say this, I see their meditation and I see their tribulation, but I see their irrigation. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, they go through this dry valley, but it ain't dry when they leave it behind them. They leave something there for the person that follows after. Now it says that their experience of passing through it, here's what they do. They make it a well. And I thought about what the psalmist is saying there could be figurative language speaking about their own weeping. And I think there's truth there. In other words, we could call it this. We could, we could say it's the spiritual enrichment of their suffering. You know, God will do things in your life and mine through suffering that He can never do through success. He'll do things in, in, in our life that through, through angst and, and through sorrow and through trouble that He can never do through victory. And these people passing through this valley... The Bible says they leave a well behind them. It could be figuratively talking about the tears that they themselves have weeped. Can I say this to you? Every time we go through a valley, we ought to store it back in our minds and hearts as a source of faith and resolve for the next valley that comes. To be reminded, if God saw me through that one, God will see me through the next one. Part of the thing that contributes to the to the to the spiritual lack of growth in our lives is we're never mindful enough to lay up our experiences for the next thing. We just move on beyond. I'm as guilty as anybody. We move on beyond our sorrow. And as soon as that, as, as those clouds have parted, we, we just forget that we ever went through anything. Instead of cataloging that thing in our hearts and minds, indexing it for fast retrieval where we can say, you know, God did that. And if He did it then, He can do it now. And I can trust it. Your, your valley of weeping that you go through, it doesn't have to be for naught. You can take those tears and make it a well that you can draw from in future experiences. 
It also says this, when I think of making a well, if we're going to talk explicitly, you don't make a well by just dumping a bunch of water in a dry place. You make a well by digging down and finding the water that's there. And you know, in your suffering, in my suffering that we may experience, in the calamities that may arise in our life, there's always water underneath. Sometimes it takes a little faith. Sometimes it takes a little study. Sometimes it takes a little self-examination, introspection. Sometimes it takes a little prayer. But if we'll just knuckle down and determine to get with God about what we're going through, and we'll just keep digging, sooner or later we'll strike water. And we'll find that God has brought something out of that experience that He never could have brought into our life in any other way. Probably a man would never think to dig in that place unless he had to. And I'll just be honest, I wouldn't choose my problems. And I don't have a lot of them. I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm not, I don't preach about poor mouth and look at me up here. Hypocrite is what I am. I, I, I'm not saying I've got a bunch of problems. Whatever problems I've got, I, wouldn't, I didn't sign up for them. I didn't, I, I didn't, the Lord's looking down from heaven saying, who wants, who wants to deal with this problem? And I said, yeah, I, I'll take that one. No, I didn't want whatever problems I may experience. But they've been dispensed unto me by the grace of God. And if they have been, there must be a reason behind it. If I just do a little digging, I'll always find that God's got nice, clean, cool, fresh spring water in the midst of whatever I'm going through. They make it. And by the way, why do they do that? Well, there's two reasons you do it. One is because you think you might pass this way again. And let me tell you, you live long enough in this life, you will pass through that valley again. It may not look exactly like the valley you went through before, but it's amazing how often... Maybe not in detail, but certainly in category, we go through the very same things. Maybe a financial struggle, maybe a physical health struggle, maybe a relationship struggle in our family or whatever it might be. Maybe a spiritual struggle uh, of some sin in our life, but really at the end of the day, we're passing. It may not be the exact same valley, but it's one very similar to it. We dig a well because we know we're human enough that we'll travel back through that valley again. There's a second reason a man might, and that's because he knows there's going to be somebody else coming behind him. Sometimes God will do stuff in our lives because we got to help somebody else. Sometimes, I'm going to say that again, the Holy Ghost wants me to. Sometimes we go through things because we got to help somebody else get through that. So there will be things you'll experience and God will do something great in it in your life through it. But really what He's doing is much bigger than that. He's going to help somebody else. Did I hear Job say a word of testimony about that? I, I thought I heard Job amen that because we've sure enough been getting a lot of water out of the well that Job dug, haven't I mean, listen, there, isn't it interesting that the first book of the Bible that was ever pinned down, it wasn't about victory, and it wasn't even about sanctity, and it wasn't about prophecy. It was about tribulation and suffering. Could it be that God knew that would be the plight and condition of humanity, and He wanted mankind to be well equipped to face that with faith in their Creator? We're still drawing well up from the book of Job. We're water up from the book of Job. I, I drew a little of it. I took a drink of it this morning in the preaching hour. And I'm just telling you, Sometimes God's doing something in somebody else's life through what you're going through. So when I when I read through this, I, I I'm, I'm encouraged by their tribulation. I'm encouraged by their irrigation, their meditation. Then I notice verse seven, their invigoration. The Bible says this: they go from strength to strength. Now you might say, well, preach that don't make no sense to me. I mean, what what's it talking about? Strength to strength. Well, remember how this whole thing started in verse five: blessed is the man man whose strength is in thee. So when it's talking about from strength to strength, it's talking about His strength, the pilgrim's strength. But remember, the pilgrim's strength is in God. So really, it's God's strength. 
And what it's saying is this, that there is an exchange that is taking place. He's going from his strength to God's strength. Now, why would a man do that? Well, first I think about the exhausting of strength. Why would you quit trusting in your strength? Most of the time it's because you ain't got no more strength left. I think about the, <laughs> I think about the widow woman there in the life of Elijah in, in 1 Kings who, uh, Elijah comes to her home and finds her. She's, uh, she's got nothing. She's fixing, gathering enough firewood to fix one last meal for her and her son so that they can eat it and die. And Elijah says, that's good and everything. Go make me a little cake first. I don't know about you, but I would have slapped him. <laughs> I'd been mad. I mean, really? Who do you think you are? But she is a better Christian than me, even though she is an unregenerate Gentile. Uh, she is a better Christian than me because the Bible says she went and did as Elijah commanded her. And Elijah tells this widow woman and says, as long as you sustain me, uh, I'll make sure and God will make sure that the cruise of oil and the barrel of meal, it will not go empty. You know, there's a little bit of meal in that barrel whenever she uh, first started that, a little bit of oil in that cruise. And I, I, I heard a man say one time, man, this helped me. At some point, that woman retched into that barrel and her last handful became God's first handful. And she quit running off her own supply and started running off of something that God was supernaturally putting in there. She didn't get down to God's supply until she ran out of her supply. You say, preacher, why is God making me go through this? He could be getting you to run low on your supply strength. So you'll reach down and grab a big old handful of His supply strength and He can get glory out of your life through it. That's what Paul said. Uh, Paul said, listen, I, I, the, the, in, my, <laughs> he prayed to the Lord. He said, Lord, i got this thorn in the flesh. i got this problem. And I want it gone. I don't want it in my life. Three times he prayed. I, 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 man, I think I think if I asked the Apostle Paul to, to turn the grass blue and the sky green and he prayed, God would do it. But he prayed three times about this and God said no. And finally God said, listen, Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. You know, the only problem with our strength is it shortchanges God's strength. The more strength we have, the less strength of God that we need. And we will only lean upon God generally as much as we have to. So sometimes he does what the psalmist said. He weakens our strength. And that's what he did for Paul. He allowed Paul to get in a place of such physical and emotional and mental and probably even spiritual weakness. But the only way Paul could go on was in the strength of God. Paul goes on to say this, When I'm weak, then am I strong. We don't like that. We like to say, when I'm strong, then am I strong. That's not the spiritual principle. The spiritual principle is when I'm weak, then am I strong. So the question is, do we want to be strong in ourselves and weak in the Lord? Or do we want to be weak in ourselves and strong in the Lord? Paul made his choice. He said, I will therefore glory in mine infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Have you ever wondered what that grace was? We ever wonder if Paul felt any better about it all when he was done? I don't know that he did. But the grace that God delivered to Paul was not to give him uh, more strength in and of himself, but rather to give him the wisdom to understand that his weakness was of God. That was the grace that God gave him. You know, in our life, it could be that the grace that we're wanting God... We all want the same thing when we're going through problems. God, take away my problems. Everybody wants that. That's what I want. It's what I want for you. But it could be the greatest thing God ever did was leave us in our, in our problems and instead see us through them. 
by His grace and strength. I see the exhausting of strength, but then I see the extension or the extending of strength. When, when the pilgrim's strength ran out, listen, then the, then the heavenly Father's strength began to exercise. So I, I see their invigoration. And then finally, and I'll say this and be done tonight, I, I think, I think the pilgrim life, it's a blessed life. Blessed is the man whose strength is, is in thee. And here's why. Because of their meditation in whose heart are the ways of them. Because of their tribulation who passing through the valley of Baca. Because of their irrigation and make it a well. And the rain also filleth the pools. Man, I didn't even preach on that. I guess I'll just leave that to the Holy Ghost put that in your heart. But let me say this. You know, in the midst of our dry valleys, uh, it ain't just the, it ain't just the, the moisture of our tears. It ain't just what we dig out. But you know, even in those times, God still drops heavenly rains upon us of blessing and goodness and strength. And then we see their invigoration. They go from strength to strength. Then I want you to notice their destination. The Bible says this, every one of them, every one of them, there's some folks that messes up their theology. They want to say just folks that, that press on, just folks that keep the faith, just folks that hold out and bear through and whatever else they want to call it. Can I tell you this? If that was the criteria for the believer to get to heaven, he had to hold on and press through and hold out and any and everything else, uh, there wasn't a one of us make it. Uh, we're getting there by the grace of God. <laughs> we're not getting there because we're holding on to Him. We're getting there because He's holding on to us. We ain't taking Him to heaven. I mean, sometimes it's just simple stuff we need, right? I, I remember hearing, I, I'm, I'm, I don't have time for this, but yeah, I do. You got all the time in the world. Yeah, you're working from home anyway. What you got to complain about? But... <laughs> I remember hearing Lester Olaf say one time years ago, somebody asked him about eternal security. And he said, uh, you know how, well, Lester, you know how he talked and just boom, his voice just fill up a whole room. And he said, uh, he said, what kind of life does God have? And somebody said, everlasting life, eternal life. He said, does God ever die? Was he created? Does he ever die? He said, no. So he has eternal life, right? And they said, yes. And he said, well, where'd you get your life? They said, from God. He said, well, the only kind of life that he has is eternal life. So if you got your life from God, you got eternal life. Uh, sometimes, man, it's just, it's those simple things. And, and let me just say, it's not, we ain't taking the God to heaven. He's taking us to heaven. He's hanging on to us. We ain't hanging on to him. He's hanging on to us. The Bible says every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. Now, I understand the, the, the more immediate context of this as regards the pilgrim and their journey to Jerusalem to worship God. But it's a reminder to me that every one of us that are born again by the grace of God, we have a destination. What is that destination? Well, I'd say this, the first part of it that I can't help but notice is uh, where are they headed to? They're headed to Jesus' feet. They appear before God. Isn't it good to know that sooner or later we're going to see Him, we're going to look on Him that died for us. We'll see Him face to face, not through a glass darkly like we like we do now, but then face to face. Now we know in part, but then we'll know even as also we are known. The greatest hope of the believer is that one day we'll get to see Him face to face. It was said before that the remark was made uh, to Fanny Crosby one time, lamenting her blindness, said, It is such a shame, Miss Crosby, that in all the blessings that God has given you, He did not give you your sight. Miss Crosby answered back and said, Don't ever say that. I thank God for my blindness. And the man was puzzled, replied, how, why? And she said, I thank God that the first face I'll ever look upon in my life will be that of the one who died for me. And by the way, this is the woman 
that wrote, when my life's work is over. <laughs> this is the woman that wrote, I shall know him by the scars in his hand. This is the woman that said, I shall see him face to face. The greatest blessing in your life and mine is to know that one of these days, we're going to get to be with Jesus. We're going to get to be with Jesus. I, I don't want to see anybody's life cut short. I don't want to see anybody suffer, and I certainly know. Listen, there ain't nobody in this room knows what it's like to sit by folks that have lost folks like I do. I'm just being honest with you. Don't get mad at me. I've been doing it now for 10 years. I've sat in so many funeral homes. I've sat in so many hospitals. I've wept with so many people. I know what it's like to lose people. It hurts. But God help us to never. God help us to never be scared of hell. God help us to always see that in the midst of all of that, though we need caution and wisdom. And listen, I'm not, I, I'm not living cavalier. I hope I'm not. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to be reckless and I'm not advising you be reckless, but I'm just, I'm just encouraging you tonight. I'm just telling you tonight that every one of us that are saved by the grace of God, the worst thing that can happen to us, the worst thing that can happen, that's what everybody on TV said, the worst thing that can happen to us is for us to go and sit at the feet of Jesus. I'd say we're in pretty good shape tonight, wouldn't you? They're going to appear at Jesus' feet. But then, you know, there's another way I think we could think about this. When it says they appear before God, when the pilgrim would go and journey to the place of worship, they were journeying there to feast and to fellowship with God, but they were also there to give sacrifices. It was a place of reckoning. And it's a reminder to you and I that, listen, when we leave this world, we are going to Jesus' feet. But we also, uh, every single person, the lost will be going to a different one than us, but every one of us is going to the judgment seat. We must all appear before the judgment seat. That's what Paul said. Uh, the lost are appearing at the great white throne judgment where they'll not be uh, determined whether they're going to heaven or not. That's been determined by the rejection of Jesus Christ. But the formal pronouncement of that rejection as well as the long list and catalog of their wasted opportunities and of their wicked works will be recounted before they're cast into the lake of fire. That's where the lost man's going to be reckoned and to be judged. I think we'll all be there, but we won't be being judged if we're saved by the grace of God. Instead, we're going to go to the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, often it's called the Bema Seat, the place of examination. And it's a reminder that, listen, there's coming a day we're going to have to give an account for the things that we've done, whether they be good or whether they be bad. We're going to stand before Jesus Christ and a reckoning will be made for how we've lived our lives. We ought to recognize in light of that that we ought to be untethering ourselves from this world. We're just pilgrims and strangers. That's all we are. Living for the world to come and walking in the strength of God and in the will of God. Let's bow together tonight as a musician comes to play. Listen, I don't know what God may have said to your heart, but I do know this. If He spoke to you about anything, He would have done that for a reason. He doesn't do anything by accident. So if He dealt with you about something, won't you slip out of your seat and meet Him down in this altar and let Him have His will and His way in your life. Father, bless this invitation. May it glorify Your Son. Lord, we love You and we ask it in Jesus' name.